I had my perspective on prayer challenged a couple of years ago. It came from a very unlikely source. I was taught a lesson in prayer from a group of five-year-old children. I was at an after-school club leading a session for the kids at the church primary school. I just shared a story from the Bible and I said, before we go on to our next activity, we're going to say a prayer together. And the children cheered. Now, admittedly, they didn't cheer as loudly as when I told them it was snack time. And I suppose it's possible they were just relieved that I'd finally finished my Bible talk. But I like to think that they were excited about prayer. For some reason, in the minds of some five-year-old children, many of whom had no Christian background at all, it was exciting to pray. And it struck me, uh, I've got a theological education, I've worked for a church, this kind of thing is my bread and butter. But in that moment, those children showed me that they had a better theology of prayer than I did. Than I do, if I'm honest. You know, on a good day, I want to take my shopping list of tasks to God for him to tick off for me. On an average day, I just don't talk to him very much at all. I forget that he wants to hear and answer prayer. And that's where this Lord's Prayer begins. Uh, There in Matthew 6 and verse 9, last week, Ed helped us to see what it's all about. It's all about children approaching their heavenly father in order to speak with him. We grown-ups sometimes need to learn from children what that looks like, don't we? Two things go hand in hand there. There's an absolute awe and wonder at this heavenly father whose name is to be hallowed and honoured and held up and celebrated and submitted to. And there's an absolute approachability and confidence in this heavenly father whose character is to care for his children, to draw them into the deepest relationship with them. We've got to keep that in mind. As we turn to our verse for today, it is Matthew 6 and verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if like me, you're used to saying this prayer together with others in a church service or a meeting, this is that part of the prayer where you're getting into your stride. You found the rhythm as you say these words. They're almost like poetry. They just spill out of your mouth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This lunchtime, I want to invite us to pause, to take a breath before we pray this line of this prayer for ourselves. I want us to hear it afresh, perhaps with a new rhythm, I would hope, with a new enthusiasm. And as we do that, I've got two headings for us. We're going to think firstly about how to pray and then what to pray. So firstly, how to pray. Well, how do you feel about your prayer life? I've wondered about that over the years. I think the most common feeling I have when I think about prayer is that I'm just not very good at it. When I was a student, I met with someone once who said to me, become a man of prayer. That would be really cool, which I thought was the least cool thing anyone had ever said to me. But I've come back to that line again and again and I've wondered for myself, what would it look like to be a man of prayer? And then 
I've wondered for those in Christian community around me, for us with this lunchtime service, what would it look like for us to be men and women of prayer? How would that impact our walk with the Lord? How would it enrich our relationships? How would it transform our worship and our witness in our workplaces and our homes and our schools and our universities, wherever we are? If we're to become men and women of prayer, we're going to need to learn and keep learning how to pray. And Jesus sets a pretty strong agenda for prayer in verse 10, doesn't he? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's a call from Jesus to make God's priorities our priorities. Now, having prayed for God's name to be hallowed, to be rightly recognised, here is a prayer for God's action and his character to be recognised for what it is. Now, the Bible presents God as the king of a kingdom, as a good ruler who reigns with righteousness and justice in power and with perfection. But it doesn't take much searching to realise that the world we live in doesn't always match that vision. The world is a place of brokenness and of rebellion where that good reign of God has been rejected, where he's been deposed as king. Jesus is always honest about the world, isn't he? And here he acknowledges that the world isn't all as it should be. He's realistic about the problems that we see around us and he teaches us how to pray to the one who can put them right. There's a diagnosis behind these words then. A a call for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done is a recognition that he isn't everywhere reigning as king and his goodwill is not done by every person in every place. And we don't escape that diagnosis ourselves. It's true of each one of us in our lives and areas of our lives. We don't always live as if God is king there. And our thoughts and our actions, our intentions don't always match God's good intentions in his divine will. So I wonder if we need to hear these words afresh. How do you say this line? If if you're like me, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a rhythm and a flow to it. But if I take time over it, if I stop and I ponder and I try to reflect I end up feeling the emphasis ought to land somewhere a little bit different. I wonder if Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As if by saying those words, we're acknowledging that it is his kingdom, not our own little kingdoms that we want to see built up. It's his will, not our own fallen desires that we want to see worked out in the world. It's a radical prayer. It's a personal one. This came home to me the other day as I was reading about a phenomenon on social media that is called manifesting. Uh, Here's a self-help technique. Uh, People go on social media and they talk about their dreams and their aspirations and present themselves to the world as if they are achieving those dreams. The theory is that if you tell the narrative that you want to live in often enough, and you become convinced that that is your destiny, then it will come true for you. Now that sounds outlandish to some of our ears. Maybe you're not the type to dream of being rich and famous and to post videos about yourself on YouTube saying so. But it's not a million miles away from the kind of respectable daydreams that many of us have. 
the, the stable job, the respect of colleagues, the comfortable living from a comfortable salary. In our hearts of hearts, most of us live always wanting just that little bit more. And Jesus might have called it trying to build our kingdom ourselves. He might have referred to it as seeking our will to be done in the world. It couldn't be more different from what he teaches us to pray here in Matthew 6 and verse 10. This is a prayer to seek God's kingdom first, not something that we manifest through our good work or our good wishes, rather something that is from God, brought for our good and for his glory in his time. Well, if that is how to pray, let's think finally what to pray. Now, there's lots of frameworks and tips and advice for how to kickstart your prayer life. I want to share with you something that I heard a little while ago that really helped to broaden my prayers for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. It's inspired by the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. Do you know that story? Uh, Goldilocks is some kind of juvenile delinquent. She breaks into this house that's owned by a couple of bears And the bears happen to be out for a stroll with their little bear cub, probably in the woods. And she sees that they've each left a bowl of porridge on the kitchen table. And she eats their porridge. So she's a vandal and a thief. Anyway, she finds that Daddy Bear's porridge is too hot for Goldilocks to eat. And Mummy Bear's porridge is too cold. But Baby Bear's porridge is not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. And I think our prayers could be a little bit like that sometimes. Some things seem too big to pray for. An end to this pandemic, for political unity, for racial justice, for economic stability. Or on a more personal level, for sickness, for besetting sins, for struggles with mental health. Often things that we pray for and we struggle to keep on praying for. If these words of Jesus mean anything at all, they mean that we can pray big prayers to God. He really is bringing in his kingdom. The pain and sickness of the world really will be healed and restored one day. The awful injustices in our personal lives and in wider society really will be banished under God's righteous reign. His will that his people will live without fear or failing, without sin or stumbling. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying this prayer anticipates that great day when the Lord Jesus will return and put right all that's gone wrong with the world fully and finally and forever. And also in his grace, these prayers are already beginning to be answered in some tangible ways. The kingdom of God is advancing. More and more people are hearing the good news about Jesus and trusting in him for salvation. The Holy Spirit is filling more and more people and transforming them to become more like Jesus. That new world is breaking into this world. So we pray. We pray for things that seem too big to pray for. And we ought to pray for things that seem too small to pray for too. And I have in mind here the kind of everyday things, you know, the things that we do routinely and we can just fall into believing that God isn't interested. I remember as a student studying theology, someone told me that I should pray before every one of my lectures. 
And I thought later, uh, why wouldn't an engineer or a musician or a linguist do the same? Isn't God equally interested in those disciplines? Don't we need just as much help in those fields for God's will to be done? And it's going to be vital for us in our work, isn't it? Do you pray through your diary for that routine meeting which you have every week? Or that one-to-one with that person that you manage? Or that catch-up call with the awkward client? God cares about our Zoom meetings as much as our prayer meetings. He wants us to ask for his help, even in the things that we feel are routine. And I wonder how different things might be if we prayed for God's will to be done there too. To see his divine wisdom shaping our professional interactions. We're to pray for the big things. We're to pray for the small things. And we're to pray for those things in the middle too. Those things that I sense we pray for quite a lot are things like wisdom for future career moves, provision of a job for those out of work, help for juggling childcare and working from home, safety as we're concerned about commuting with COVID around, breakthroughs in those conversations we have with colleagues and others as we try to share our faith with them. These are good things to pray for. If it's your practice to do that, be encouraged, persevere in it. But where this verse speaks into those things, it invites us to look at them more deeply and to trust God more completely as we bring them to him and entrust them to his care. We can pray prayers of worship, of thanks and praise to God. We can pray prayers of circumstance, of asking for God's help in tricky situations. We can pray prayers of wisdom, asking God to change our thoughts and our actions. But this verse invites us to look deeper underneath those prayers, to pray kingdom prayers. That is to pray prayers where we ask God to change everything by revealing himself more fully. That's the logical conclusion of praying for all those other things. Why do we pray in praise and adoration? Because God is great and we delight in knowing him. Why do we pray for our circumstances to change? Because the difficulties of life show us that we're still waiting for God's great kingdom to be made fully manifest here on earth. Why do we pray for our hearts to change? Because we know that God is making us to be more like his son by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we ought to pray for our view of the world to change. That we would know Jesus more clearly and love him more dearly. We may be confused and hurting about our circumstances. We may be lacking in wisdom. But we know that God longs to make himself better known to us. And that we might see his work among us and in the world more clearly. That is what Jesus has in mind when he teaches us to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to that end, let me pray for us now. Our heavenly father, we thank you that you are a heavenly father that we can come to you with confidence and with full trust that you want to hear and answer our prayers. And we pray now that you would help us to pray kingdom prayers, 
that we would know more of your work in the world and we'd see you answering now what you will one day fully bring to bear in the restoration of all things in the coming again of the Lord Jesus. So we pray your kingdom come. Amen.